welcome everyone to the inaugural episode of TCBH Hangouts because what the world needs is another podcast. Uh, and I'm joined today by my panel of co-hosts. I have Chris Douglas of C&B Discuss and upcoming TCBH on the level. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing well. Thanks, Jack. Morning. <laughs> Oh man, this is sounding so professional already. <laughs> and then I have with me Andrew Burkett of Atheris Games. How are you doing, Andrew? You got a Kickstarter going on right now. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, always have a Kickstarter going on. <laughs> it's the treadmill. Yes. It always continues on and on and on. And that <laughs> makes up our, our group today. Uh, we may have other panelists in the future. The, kind of the point of this show, I, as I mentioned, what the world needs is one more podcast. But uh, <laughs> I realized through doing the Cardboard Herald that the favorite times that I have are when I'm hanging out with people that um, are, are just mutually interested in talking about whatever. And while the TCBH interviews is a great platform for people to come on and talk about their projects and really focus on their history, I like tackling a wide range of projects. So ideally, this show is just going to be groups of friends, friends of the show, people who are coming on, and we're just talking about all kinds of creative stuff in the industry, as well as our own projects that we're working on. But we're also tackling things that we have no involvement in and uh, just want to be armchair uh, speculating on these things that we really have no business commenting on. Other than that, we like to consider ourselves professionals. So that's kind of the, the plan here. Uh, we'll see how it goes. It's the first episode. So the main Cardboard Herald kind of evolved considerably from the inaugural episode so maybe this will become like a, a cooking podcast or something by the time we're a year <laughs> in who knows <laughs> so uh, i guess a great way to start is you know the cardboard herald is always focused on games and tabletop gaming and, and opinions on what we're playing and so i've asked chris and andrew to think about one game that they've been playing recently that they have some sort of thoughts or opinions on that you know maybe a great game maybe they absolutely hate it what, whatever it is something that they've been investing a lot of time in uh lately so we'll start it out which of you want to tackle a, a game i'll go ahead and go first yeah go for it so chris. So we recently just got onto this Sagrada game, which is a dice drafting game. I don't know if you guys have seen this one. Oh, yeah. You're building your stained glass window. You have tools and you have these objective cards, uh, very similar to the Kingdom Builder objectives and location tiles on the Kingdom Builder. Very similar to that. And there's all these rules to how you put your dice in. And we actually, last night, I actually started with one of the harder difficulties. And it was very puzzly. It was really addicting. And it was something that we were really digging last night. Uh, it was really late, so I didn't get a chance to, like, post it on there. They wanted you to take a hashtag and post it on their website or something. But, uh, man, we've been kind of... We were going to play a couple other games, and we just threw them, you know, we just tossed them aside, threw them aside just so we could get on this Sagrada game. Very beautiful, very stained glassy. Wife, will lo wife loves all the beautiful games, too, so that's always a plus. Ironically, too, just on a side note, the game that you, we, we hate, right? So, Jack, you remember that Hanabi game? Right? Yeah. That came up the other day, and my wife just could not adjust to the, the, the way of, you know, how you can't see your hand, and you're supposed to be helping others figure out what their hands are. It was just funny that that conversation came up again, and I am 100% sure that my wife hates what I thought was a great game. Well, you know, it, it's funny. So, Sagrada... Um... I played it first when I went to Dice Tower Con, which is actually where I met up with Andrew face to face for the first time. That was that was right exciting. On. But man, that is a game that makes me feel like an idiot every time that I played it. it like uh, I remember, it was a table of four, and I think one person had played it before, and they did a really good job in teaching the game, but. Mm -hmm immediately, like as soon as I was trying to put dice into my tableau, my stained glass window, I, I was messing up the rules as far as what could be next to each other. And it's like, oh, I found the perfect dice. It goes here. And it's like, you can't place a green there. I'm like, 
why is it so hard for me to like follow what should be very simple rules? Just don't have <laughs> colors next to colors and numbers next to numbers. Come on, man. Uh, but it took for, me three games. It took me three games to figure out that the numbers were actually the shades of the color. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, what is going on here? Like, Thematically, okay, why so the can't green I have five through six? Five. That's the shade one through six. Uh, uh, like green one through six, that's the shade of green. And I was like, it took me forever to figure that out. So I think I can feel you on that point. Yeah, totally. Well, I, I think by halfway through my first game, I noticed that very early on I had placed something that's completely illegal to place. And <laughs> I, I was just like, man, I, I'm just, I, don't count my points in this game. I'm not allowed <laughs> to play it how I'm playing. Um, and, and what's worse is normally I'm not much of a, like a shit talker when it comes to board games. Um, and, you know, normally I'm the guy who's really trying to facilitate a good time and everyone's just, you know, we're, we're having a nice, happy gaming experience. And whatever reason, with these strangers in particular, I sat down. I was like, just so you guys know, I am going to slaughter this game. And <laughs> that audacity going into it must have been my downfall. And I did horribly. I could not wrap my brain around it. Um, but ultimately, I thought it was a really fun game. And yeah, ironically, I think that that was sort of me. I'm not big on competitiveness, super into gaming stuff, but... I played Sagrado with my brother, and we thought he won. And then I checked, and I had one of the extra tokens that you could spend. Um, mm -hmm. And so I actually beat him by one point, and he was livid. <laughs> and so, oh, yes. So I, I, I had to, and I had just beat him at the previous game, so I, I told him all, all night about that. So as uncompetitive as I was for, for some reason, even though Sagrada seems like a game that you wouldn't be super competitive with, I was like, heck yeah, I beat by one point just because it's my brother. <laughs> Older or younger brother? Younger brother. Oh, okay. Well, that, that's good. You get to beat yeah. up on the younger brother from time to time. Yeah. I'm the younger brother as far as like age groups. You know, I have, a, um, I have younger siblings and I definitely pick on my little sister, but she's eight years younger than me, so it... It's not as sweet as uh, I'm sure my older brother, who's four years older than me, when he gets to pick on me. Uh, I spent many a many a day getting beat up on on uh, some I don't know Street Fighter Two, Mortal Kombat, uh, or even in tabletop space, some Magic the Gathering. He he definitely took me to school when it came to that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know I'm actually the uh, middle brother, but I, I actually have a twin brother that I'm a minute older than, and so that's a very fine line. In fact, you mentioned Street Fighter. We were playing Street Fighter the other day, and uh, it reminded me of the '90s. I swear, we almost dropped these controllers and actually started wrestling on the couch. It was actually <laughs> hilarious. We're almost 40 years old. And I we're can't down on Street Fighter. I, I can't imagine what you and Marcus playing Street Fighter is gonna be like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much enjoying this mental image, um, but I can imagine it comes down to real life Hadoukens and and hurricane kicks. I, I was gonna, uh, yep, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say Fireball Dragon Punch, Fireball Dragon Punch, and every time he tries to jump over Fireball Dragon Punches. Yeah, well, my move in Street Fighter, uh, when I'm playing against a scrub, at the least, is uh, you know to hop in with Ryu and uh, use Fierce Kick in air yeah. and then down low first. <laughs> Uh, fierce kick and just do that sweep and over and over again if you can't counter it then you don't deserve me playing different moves i just love that sound too i can't get that sound <laughs> in my head <laughs> that, that thrashing sound when he comes down with those two kick that kick combo yep yep totally what, what's going on in your neck of the woods angie can i even call you andy i think i even started with andrew and then moved into a subtle andy there <laughs> uh i mean you can you can do whatever you want i i know i normally don't that's right this is that, my podcast i yeah. call whoever by whatever i want <laughs> supreme dictator uh, supreme leader <laughs> so i don't play as many published games as i would like um so the game i've played the most recently is my own mutant crops because it, it just started shipping so i've been demoing it a lot um, but a game I played recently that I liked a lot was Unfair. I had went to Gen Con and picked up a copy there. I don't even know what and Unfair is. I, 
it's a theme park game from Good Game Publishing, and they had distribution but, through Cool Mini or not. Okay, and, totally. Uh, it, it's a theme park game. I had wanted to back it on Kickstarter and sort of just never had the money during their Kickstarter campaign, so I backed it for a dollar. And then I went to their retail store in Indianapolis, and I was talking to the owner, and I ended up getting a copy there. The owner was super cool, and so now I'm definitely going to support all of their Kickstarter projects. They're awesome people. So. Well, I noticed on your Kickstarter page that it lists you as a super backer. What does it take to become a super backer? Probably obscene amounts of money spent on a Kickstarter. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think that's it. I, I I think you have to back like fifty projects. I I can't tell an exact number without going on the page, but I think I'm over a hundred. Wow. I'll have to check. Mm. I I back too many. Mainly gaming. Yeah, almost all gaming. Every once in a while, like, I have friends who do entrepreneurship stuff that I'll back their Kickstarter. So, some like comic books and stuff like that too but majority right. gaming that's cool so tell me about unfair like yeah. good game fun game you know wh- wh- what's going on with it so i thought it was a really good game i've only got a chance to play it once so far i think there there's different missions you can basically do there's cards that are shuffled i don't know exactly what they're called in the game anymore but they, they kind of change how the game plays and so some of them you you can decide if you want to use them or not and so there, there's some like take that elements that some people didn't like about the game i don't really mind them uh but you can kind of eliminate them completely if you don't like that but basically you're you're trying to build out your theme park so you're trying to get attractions and get the most points but attractions aren't worthwhile if you don't have patrons going into your theme park so you have to manage how many patrons you can have and there, there's like a, a sort of cap of how many you can have in your basic theme park so you have to upgrade it you can get um like personnel and stuff to to give you bonuses and all that kind of stuff um, pretty also sweet. i just pretty checked sweet. i've backed 193 projects on kickstarter wow there. you exceeded all of our expectations <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't back everything for the full amount. Sometimes I back things for a dollar just to increase their backer numbers and to show that I support it without having the money to fully support it. Yeah, and that's to, right. You're you know, a college student. Later. so Yeah, so since I just graduated, I, I'm pretty much like, oh, I have $30,000 in student loan debt. I probably shouldn't buy all the games, um, <laughs> just most of them. It's probably a pretty good principle. Um, yeah. You mentioned meat and crops, and... How's uh, demo feedback on that game coming now that it's actually out there in the wild? So it's actually gone significantly better than our first game. The feedback has been actually excellent. Uh, there's been a few people that you know have thought uh, it's it's on the simpler, lighter side. It's 15 to 30 minute uh, worker placement game. So some people like that, obviously, and some people don't. So a lot of the people who wanted a curricula kind of game but not spend hours playing, love it. And so all that feedback has been positive. So I have to definitely check this out then. Yeah, well, you know, it, let's get a little bit of this cross-promotion. You know, I was talking about professionalism here. You know, Chris, you could just listen to my interview with designer Sebastian Kosiner in Argentina uh, on TCBH interviews if you wanted to learn more about mutant crops. Gotcha. That is true. How, how'd I do on that plug, Andy? <laughs> I, I, I think you did great. And Sebastian is awesome. I love working with him. So Yeah, I, well, I def- the, the tale of this game is, is pretty cool, as well as his other games. So um, oh, yeah? Sebastian is the graphic designer in Argentina. He has an art studio with him and his wife, and he is a big fan of tabletop gaming, and he wants to do more tabletop games. And the embargoes and taxes in order to import things into Argentina is huge. So uh, he decided to self-publish a few games in Argentina itself and um, like actually manufacture and everything is done there locally instead of making it this big multinational style thing that we're more accustomed to as far as board games. And he had some success with crowdfunding through local Argentinian setups and uh, what did he uh, produce? He did Oni and Mutant Crops, right? And Yeah, he has a third game. I can't remember the name, but we're reproducing Oni. They, they already had a U.S. company produce it a few years ago, and then we obviously published 
mutant crops. So we're working with them closely. So. Yeah, it just feels like a real punk rock type of approach. Like, you know what? We can't get board games in Argentina, so we're just going to make our own games in Argentina. Uh, and cool dude, he had like a sword in the background, and I thought like, oh, you're just like some anime fan with a sword? And he's like, no, I regularly train with the sword. I am a martial artist. I was like, whoa, <laughs> this dude is hardcore. Uh, he's awesome. Yeah, he's, I think he's a musician too. Um, Sebastian's awesome. I, I was thrilled to talk with him. Well, as far as games that I've been playing, I, I've been playing all the games, too many games. Um, and I'm going to break my own rules by mentioning two games, but they kind of go hand in hand. I've been uh, starting new campaigns of two different legacy games, Pandemic Legacy Season 2 and Charterstone. And I, I don't want to give a lot of spoilers, one, in case you guys haven't been playing them uh, and are interested, but also for the audience, I, I'd hate to spoil something, but uh, it, it's still, I don't know. Like, I loved Pandemic Legacy Season 1, and I played through that campaign twice with our friend Sarah Miko uh, and my wife and I. We would play... Uh, on the month, whatever month the, the campaign was actually in. So in January, right. we'd play January's games. In February, we'd play February's games. And we did this two years, and we're doing it again with Legacy Season 2. And so far, the game itself seems awesome. The, the art direction is awesome. The things that it does to shake up Pandemic is awesome. But... I, I'm still like reticent to commit to legacy games, and I think it may just be me being like old man gamer who's like, you know, get your newfangled legacy games off of my lawn. You know, I can't play them after I'm done. What, what's the value in it? But at the same time, you know, I pay twelve bucks to go to the movie theater, so maybe getting ten to twenty sessions out of a board game for four people. Uh, for you know, forty-five bucks or whatever isn't that bad of a deal, and it, it's interesting because Charterstone by Stonemaier Games was actually designed with the intent that you could continue playing after the Legacy campaign was done. And I don't know, like I'm five games in on Charterstone, and I, I was just commenting to our group last night that I find it really fun. It, it's um, unlike Pandemic, which is a cooperative game, Charterstone is competitive, a really light, uh, almost frenetic worker placement game where you have to start with just two workers. And um, anytime that you uh, go onto a space, you don't actually block other people from going onto that space. But whenever someone else goes there and you're worker is already on it your worker gets bumped back into your um into your collection into your reserve and the the main mechanic of the game you know think typical resource production point driven euro worker placement game is that mm -hmm. with these two workers what you can do is you can place a bill um place a worker on a building on a board resolve its action or on your turn you can recall all your workers and that takes up your entire turn. So it's more a game of efficiency, and you're hoping to go to places where people will bump you back to your own reserve, so that way you don't have to spend a turn recalling all of your workers. Uh, and the legacy elements come out of uh, you initially have only so many plots to go on to, uh, but that expands and it, it has a story element and the players are driving the, the rate at which it expands and you are rewarded for that, uh, but you're making permanent changes on the board and committing to things that make it uh, more asymmetric as you go along. So eventually what my faction is able to do as far as the amount of money and resources that it can uh, hold from game to game is different than other players and what my faction's abilities are are mm -hmm. going to change compared to what other players have, which is interesting. So I, I like the core of the game, but I'm still somewhat reticent to commit to this legacy thing. I don't know. Like, I guess what... I worry about is that I like games where I can count on what the game is going to be 
especially in a competitive game. And I can go into it anticipating how I can play the game. And when things change that add new elements that were completely unforeseen, they are delightful little surprises, but Mm -hmm. they may completely undermine your previous experiences with the game. And one of the great joys of gaming to me is getting good at something or exploring the interesting ideas. I I think that's one of the reasons why I love terraforming Mars so much is that there's so many paths to victory. There's so many different ways you can play and interact with those systems that you can get glimpses of during one game and then go, you know what, next time I play, I really want to try focusing on this idea that I, I just had the germ of in my current build. And you can do I love that. that. Yeah, and that that's awesome. And I, I guess the good thing is is that those games are still coming out. Terraforming Mars is still coming out, uh, even though Pandemic Legacy came out. But I think it's definitely a very different thing, and I wouldn't want every game to adopt some sort of legacy style. What I can say, though, is that Charterstone, as far as competitive legacy games, is by far the best competitive legacy game that I've played. And... At its core, the dynamic legacy element is less destructive to the the flow of the game. New things get added, but you still feel like you're competitive in, in the game. And I very much could see that in its finished state, it is a really enjoyable game to play. The only thing that I really worry about is balance at the end of the game. You know, is one faction going to have significantly more strength going into every given game if you're just playing it as a non-legacy thing it would be like playing scythe and you know like one faction had been built up so that way they start the game with like 10 resources or something you know (laughs) they'd have a bit of an advantage if your bear is trucking around to like a a couple mechs to start the game so Uh, i have to admit i don't play many legacy games but i mean are we talking maybe like almost sounds like an episode of a show yeah Yeah, so uh, first off, I think you should check out Pandemic Legacy would be a great way to start because it's cooperative and the cooperative element makes it feel exciting. Like you're you're watching a show that's unfolding, uh, but you're participating in it as you go along. But the, Mm -hmm. the basic idea of Legacy is that the effects and ramifications of one game will completely change every game played from there on out they pretty much started with risk legacy uh, which rob davio designed and then he went on to team up with matt leacock and do pandemic legacy which changed the world (laughs) and uh, you know i don't think it's too many spoilers to talk about pandemic legacy season one where if you're familiar with pandemic every time that something outbreaks one of the diseases outbreaks it actually increases the threat level in a city that can eventually make it harder to move through that city and you're making permanent Mm -hmm. changes onto the board with with markers and with stickers and stuff your characters you can end up choosing game end upgrades that make them more powerful but also you can take damage as a character where they get scars that are like debuffs and eventually you could have a character die and if that's the character you were really relying on to play the game you're actually tearing their their character sheet in half and it's it is really satisfying to uh, <laughs> let go of every instinct you have as a gamer and say you know what i'm tearing this piece of cardboard in half this sucks but okay here we go in the first moment you do it you're like i kind of felt great you know (laughs) i don't have that monkey on my back of taking care of this game anymore i can wreck it to my heart's content (laughs) but uh the other thing is that ideally a campaign of a legacy game would have some sort of story uh that would create interesting arcs as you play so um, okay. to start in Pandemic Legacy, you have certain objectives, which is unlike Pandemic itself. And as soon as you complete an objective, it may say open package whatever in the box. And you open and, whoa, there's new components that I never anticipated seeing. And, whoa, inside of here there was new objectives and characters and, like, a new story element. And it feels like you're playing – have you seen the movie Contagion? Yeah, I have, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like you're playing that, except maybe with more of a – 
sci-fi government espionage bent. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I see, I feel you about the opening the boxes. That's why when I took a peek at that charter stone and there were all those boxes in there and I was like, hey, this is like a bunch of like Christmas presents in a box. Here. Dude, like, dude, that thing is, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Stonemaier Games would like me describing it this way, but it, it's almost like a, a fetishist thing in opening those boxes. Something that Apple has very much managed to do with its products. You know, like it almost feels it's self-indulgent and nearly sexual in nature, you know, of opening one of those boxes of just that, that feeling of everything being so <laughs> clean and beautiful and pristine and like, like very well designed packaging that mm-hmm. seems to tap into every sort of endorphin in your brain of going, wow, this is a premium product and this is really cool looking. And this is a compliment. Like, you know, I'm not saying uh, that I want to have romantic relations with this box or anything, but (laughs) but if you could describe a car as sexy, this is a board game that by design is very sexy. And that's a cool thing uh, that I haven't seen a lot of attention um, spent on in, in as far as the box aesthetics you know there, there are games with great looks great art direction but the aesthetics of the box here just feels like whoa this thing is intense yeah it's definitely on my radar for what, sure what, what's your next sexy game that you're coming out with andy uh, so obviously we have Supernatural Stocks currently live, uh, but the next big one, it's going to be our first medium weight game. We're making a uh, one and a half to two hour strategy game called Ruins of Mars. Yeah. Designer Don Riddle did awesome with it. And uh, we have a really good artist, his name's Ronan, doing the artwork and the, we have the box cover it looks awesome. And then Sebastian's obviously doing all of our graphic design. Uh, it's going to be a pretty game for sure. Yeah, I, I think I may have seen, if this is the game that I'm thinking of, I might have been around when you were doing some discussions or deliberations with the designer of this game at Dice Tower Con this year. And if so, uh, that looked like a really cool and interesting game. Uh, how much is publicly is known correct. about it? Not very much. So, so we currently have just basically released the name, the box, and a tiny descriptor of the game. So it, it uses a Mancala-like system where there's 10 communal cards. And so each player can pick any set of cards on the board, and there's five different spaces on the board. When you pick up that stack of cards, you get whatever actions those cards tell you. So you your actions depend on where you go on the board, but it, any player can go anywhere. And then when you pick up those cards, you have to put one back down on the spot you played it on, the next goes in the next spot on the board clockwise, and you you keep going that way. Yeah, totally. Um, this this is the game that I saw. It, it was very cool looking and definitely seemed like something uh, uh, meaty that felt like a simple system to describe, but at the same time just really, really damn cool. Um, like immediately you felt like there would be a lot of strategy Oh, and you're showing us a picture of it. We got some screen yeah. share going on right now. Yep, so that's the game. Mars is and so that, hot right now. Yeah, Mars is the sexy planet. Yep, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love Moncala, and I love science fiction. I tell you what, when I think of ruins of Mars, I'm like, what's in those ruins? So uh, I guess this is kind of getting us into this whole projects and gaming and stuff we're working on things, so we might as well move on. Sorry for the uh, transitions here, audience. We're still figuring out this first episode. So, you know, I, I got to work on having different segments in a podcast. I've never really had that before. <laughs> so what what are you guys uh, working on? I guess we'll go. Well, you know what? You know what? Let, let's talk about other people first. Stuff that we are interested in. Uh, projects in gaming, either upcoming games or uh, just projects in general that have caught our attention. Uh, what's caught your eye, Chris? Well, definitely I've been looking at the uh, Charterstone game, and when I saw the big white box, and there was a bunch of them at our local game store, and then I went back uh, a week later, and they were like all gone. <clears throat> and I was like, oh, okay. 
and I'd heard so much great things about it. I loved the artwork. We just talked a second ago about, you know, opening all the boxes and the Christmas gift gift element of it. Really quick, was and that so, at Bosco's? It was at Bosco's. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. Shout out and, to uh, I definitely Bosco's frequent and there Anchorage. and talked to those. I talked to all those guys still, and that that's where Chris and I met. Um, what like. 12 years ago or something when we uh, were about, both working yep. at Bosco's. Oh, oh man. Yeah. And then at their distributor too, we put in some work in that place. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me more. Charter so that's stuff. my main thing. Yeah. That's my main thing is really trying to get, uh, get my wife on it too. I think that she'd probably enjoy it. She's a big worker placement fan, uh, and Christmas gift openers. So I, I was, th- <laughs> this one's definitely next on my list. <laughs> Be like, Come on, December. Chris described this as this, or Jack described this as the sexiest game. We got to play it. You know, we'll, right. we'll put on some very white in the background. I got some making up to do with the uh, some of the games I thought she would like and ended up hating. <laughs> no more Hanabi. Yeah, no more Hanabi. <laughs> okay, well, anything uh, been catching your attention in the gaming space, Andy? So uh, I got three that I'm excited about. So Druid City's game, Sorcerer City, that they've been doing their documentary on, looks interesting. So I'm excited to hear more about it. I saw some minor playthrough video they posted, but playing it will be cool. Then there's uh, Reavers of Midgard, which is coming out from Gray Fox Games. The designer, J.B. Howell, is actually local to me, and all of his games are... It's crazy. They're all awesome. Even in their like first prototype form, he'll bring it the first time, and I'm like, oh my god, this game's already good. It's way better than me. Like I'll go like eight <laughs> times, and they'll they'll be like, this game is trash, dude. Uh, but nope, his games are always good. And then I think you had the designer of this on the show, uh, Archon. I think that's how you say it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I just talked yeah. with him on Friday. Yeah. Yeah, so they're a first-time creator, and he's been posting a lot of content, and it seems like the artwork is really well done, and they've done their homework, and I like supporting first-time people, so that's one I'm excited about, too. Yeah, well, the designer that, Casey Hill, he actually reminded me a lot of you in being this really entrepreneurial guy, you know, thinking about really business-minded ideas while at the same time having the, the heart in the right place when it comes to comes to gaming and making sure that the the consumer gets what they want he was telling me about this project that he did in college making like pamphlets on how to sell and make money uh in magic the gathering and like this pamphlet itself sold tons of money making way more than his uh part-time job was giving him while he was in college and he sounded like a guy who's really organized. He's got a great team. It looks like a really cool project. So I'm excited to see what comes out of him and specifically what Archon shapes up to be. It's really a, a small package, but sounds like a cool idea. Great. Let's see. The The main thing that I notice it isn't a, specifically a game. And, uh, it isn't even something in tabletop gaming, really, but it's something that could be. I, I was just looking at AGDQ's numbers. Are you, either of you familiar with awesome games done quickly in the video game world? Vaguely. Well, it, it's, nope. it's a speed-running event for playing video games as fast as you can, you know, doing a lot of sequence breaking. And, and you know, if yeah, you've yeah. ever seen any of these clips of people, like, beating Super Metroid in 30 minutes or something, you know, that that's what these people do and they've become incredibly good at it and it's a a very supportive community where speedrunners are constantly helping each other to figure out new ways of essentially getting the world records in playing these games and there there are certain objectives sometimes like you'll have a a hundred percent speed run or you'll have just a any percent speed run any percent meaning you somehow made it from start to the end credits of a game and you can just glitch through you could do whatever you need to in order to get through it and then there's also a speed run where you could do hundred percent or you'd have no glitches or you know some other bonus objective that makes it unique to that category um, something that's really cool is like watching 
Legend of Zelda for Super Nintendo, Link to the Past, uh, getting 100% on that, and people are still doing it in an incredibly short amount of time to 100% a game. That, that's insane to me. But this event, Awesome Games Done Quickly, they stream it uh, for charity, and they'll have commenters, commentators, hosts, People like us talking over these <laughs> Twitch streams, uh, and sometimes even the people playing the game will be talking during these streams. Not only are they playing at a highly proficient rate, but they're they're talking, interacting with an audience, and they're raising money for charity because people will donate just to help with a cause, and then comment, uh, and they'll they'll talk about the cause uh, as they're playing. Sometimes the, the audience will be cheering people along, you know, they'll do shout outs, uh, you know, so-and-so just donated $100 and, you know, everyone will give big cheers for them, that type of thing. But also sometimes you can influence what the speedrunners are going to do. Like one of my favorite speedruns to watch every year is a new Final Fantasy 1 speedrun for the NES and one, because the people who tend to stick around that game seem awesome. Two, it's an awesome game that I'm so intimately familiar with losing it. And uh, three is that there's a lot of opportunities to do really hanky stuff within the game, like trying out risky glitches that could completely throw off the momentum of the speed run. But if they say, hey, you know, if people donate X amount of money, then we're going to do this or or do that you know if people want me to try out this boss versus this boss then you know donate money and support and all of this goes to charity right none of this is meant to go to any of these players as any sort of professional income and it started just as small groups of speedrunners getting together and saying can we raise a few hundred dollars for charity well awesome games done quick just wrapped up and the latest one raised over $2 million for charity. Ooh. A huge number born out of people being really supportive with one another, with this community, and of gamers wanting to help with good causes. And mm -hmm. as the tabletop industry has grown, I'm thinking that there is room for tabletop gaming as, a, as an industry, as a hobby, to start thinking about some of these charity initiatives to engage with the community at a broader level. And there, there are some things like this last year, I even participated in the, the Stonemeyer games charity auction where they charity of your choice as a, as a media outlet would get to essentially have a charter stone game auctioned off with all the bells and whistles, all the extras and upgrades, and then the charity of your choice would get um, the the money and Stonemeyer Games would match that money. So, for instance, I picked the Hispanic Federation for support in the hurricane damage that's just absolutely wrecked Puerto Rico, but all sorts of charities. I, I think there were maybe 10 or 12 uh, different media outlets that got to pick these charities. And we cooperatively raised probably, you know, $5,000 or something. But I think there's a broader level, some sort of event, almost like a convention that whether it's live streaming or, or, or something could happen that would allow this sort of community engagement to happen. Not to speak for all gamers uh, and tabletop gamers, but I, I think that people who play tabletop games tend to have slightly more affluent life uh, styles where they can afford to pay for these games, you know? Uh, I think that something about the engagement with a game requires uh, at least the, the intellect, the drive, the will uh, in order to play them, um, which can sometimes require in-depth research in these rule books and everything. So uh, I, I think that tabletop gamers are, are primed to be people who want to care about contributing. And I see that in the uh, unpub space where uh, mm -hmm. 
where new time designers and developers are getting together and being completely supportive of one another, listening to each other's ideas, helping uplift one another's projects, those kind of things. And I think that there's some way to harness that on a, a massive scale in order to make some big time event that is charitable and can be something that this industry feels incredibly good about and getting support from various big giant publishers to you know make reward levels with games i, I don't know there, there's all kinds of things that i'm thinking about but the bottom line the, the creative project that has caught my eye is this awesome speed running event awesome games done quickly uh agdq and the massive amount of support that it gives for charity and the feel-good nature that it has for video gaming as a whole. Like, every media outlet covers it, talks about it. Um, it if you're engaged in the video game space, like actually reading articles and that kind of stuff on the internet, then you probably run across all this speedrunning stuff, and it's just fascinating to learn about. So if there's anyone in the audience who knows about larger events that are in the same vein of this, that I would love to hear about it. You know, let us know. The, go to the contact link on cardboardherald.com and we'll we'll touch on this during next episode. Do you guys have any thoughts on AGDQ or uh, you're just like, man, I don't know. I got to watch some awesome speed runs at this point. Uh, it sounds awesome. I uh, had never heard of it before and I, I know that there's some charities that do tabletop now, like Extra Life, I think, has a tabletop segment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And totally. uh, Dice Tower obviously supports the Jack Vassal Memorial Fund. And, but I, I, I definitely think that there's definitely room to improve upon that and have more charitable outlets. Yeah, totally. I, I'm not saying that there there aren't any, which is why I was mentioning the Stonemeyer Games uh, event. But I, I think there's a way of having a much more dedicated focus you know the the extra life one that, that's something that i've considered cardboard herald could run an extra life for charity live streaming of playing board games but you know what if, what if there was a convention whose entire point was to generate this or you know one larger scale event that just became the regular modus operandi you know that people in any sort of forum, you know, our board games, the board game geek, that everyone with any sort of engagement in this hobby has some sort of baseline knowledge of uh, as an event to look forward to in the way that people tend to count on certain events like Origins, Gamma, Spiel, the Spiel de Yaris winners, you know, all that kind of stuff. It, it would be nice if there were some recurring event but I definitely agree with you about the giving back part. And one thing I learned at PAX Unplugged was that this this industry, people are definitely having each other's back. And there's almost like a predictability about that that I really appreciate. I think that those charities will end up coming because I've been seeing more of that stuff online too, just kind of researching stuff online and <clears throat> seeing people do these uh, events and 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 uh filming their game i think i just saw like a 30 hour dice tower game thing too now and i don't know if those are for charity but jack i definitely agree with you as far as like man there could be so many you know i used to i've worked for in social work for the last 20 years as well so like the opportunities for that kind of stuff is endless and, and you know board games are are becoming a even bigger deal than they were before you know every year sees an increase in this uh just the awareness of this industry and so it's time to maybe put our big boy pants on or big girl pants uh, i'm not discriminating here big non-gender binary pants even <laughs> whatever <laughs> pants you want to put on then it, i think that we can we can harness some greatness because gamers tend to be amazing so i i think that's one direction we can go. But I, I want to talk about our own projects, especially because we have the illustrious Andrew Burkett on this show. So let's <laughs> let's talk about that. What What's this Kickstarter that you have going on right now, Andrew? And what other projects is Atheris Games up to? Current Kickstarter is for Supernatural Socks. Supernatural Socks is uh, obviously a silly game about losing socks in the laundry. Uh, ghosts are stealing everyone's socks. 
It's two to four players, plays in 15 to 30 minutes, and is a set collection game mainly. I could definitely explain it more, but we have a million and one projects in the interest of time. Uh, we'll just leave that to that. We are working on a few like co-designs with other designers. We obviously are working with Don Riddle on Ruins of Mars. And then I personally started writing for Casual Game Insider, which is a physical board game magazine, which I like writing. I, I've always loved writing, so that's my creative outlet. And so it's cool incorporating that with gaming through Casual Game Insider. Can anyone sign up for that, or is that only for Kickstarter super backers exclusively? <laughs> anyone can sign up for that. Casual Game Insider is uh, is cool, so I, I definitely would recommend checking it out. They, um not sure where their distribution is, how far they go, but a lot of the distributors will sell it to local gaming stores and stuff, and you can subscribe on their website. And then uh, I, I just wrote for their blog for a while and eventually i annoyed them enough i guess that they were like okay you can write an article for us um and so after i wrote the first one they really liked it and so i actually have an article for all four issues of 2018 well that's actually great andy i tell you what i'm a casual i read that uh casual gamer magazine and i'll keep an eye out for for it awesome that sounds really cool and for for those of you who haven't been following the entire saga of the Cardboard Herald, I think this is Andy's, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four. I think this is your fifth time on some sort of Cardboard Herald-related media here. You did two proper episodes, the Dice Tower Con mini-episode compilation, and then you were on our favorite gaming memories thing. And every time that I've had you on in one way or another... It seems like you hate to do any sort of self-promotion or talking about your own stuff, which I love. I adore. That's one of the reasons why you know you're among the first friends of the Cardboard Herald that I wanted to um, have on the show is because you're so focused on other people's stuff and uplifting uh, others. And while you believe in your products wholeheartedly, you let them speak for themselves. But I, I got to have a couple questions in here about Supernatural Socks. So... How's the Kickstarter going in general? I mean, I've never run a Kickstarter. Chris has never run a Kickstarter. How how is the Kickstarter going? And does this feel any different than previous Kickstarters you've been doing? Kickstarters are a whirlwind. So for anyone that hasn't run one, like half my hair has fallen out. That's typical. Um, By the middle of the campaign, like all of my hair will have fallen out. Uh, (laughs) And that's a lot of hair. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I got a lot. So it'll be interesting. Uh, so, so it's it's stressful. So we've been working on the campaign. I have had the game done for almost a year, but we started working on the campaign a few months ago. And there's obviously a lot of time and money that goes into it and whatnot. But this campaign is actually done significantly better on the early stages than we did with Mewen Crops. So we, we have more funding and more individual backers than we had at the same time for the previous campaigns. We're currently at just under 5,600, which is like 56% of our goal. And uh, I think we have 172 unique backers as of now. So if things continue as a normal Kickstarter typically does, because I, I know it has like ebbs and flows during different stages of the campaign, do you anticipate that you'll be on track to meeting that goal toward the end? Because I, if I recall, there's like a huge influx at the very end of a Kickstarter. The last couple of days are critical. The first couple of days are super critical. That is 100% accurate. We had raised about $4,000 in the first two days, I believe. And normally you kind of expect the same amount uh, the last two days. And then the middle days are kind of more of a crapshoot, I guess. Uh, so... My hope is that we're able to raise around the $15,000 mark, which would allow us to get some of our stretch goals. So we'll see how far we get. But it, it definitely seems very promising for funding. They normally say that if you get 30% within the first two days, you're pretty likely to fund. And we were well over 40. So it's looking good. That sounds great, man. Chris, what, what are you working on these days? Well, you had brought up, you know, some of the social aspects of the of gaming and, um, you know, me and I've got a little gamer on the way in March. And so uh, we've been dealing with a lot of 
I guess you could call them complications, just, you know, a heavy baby and all, lots of doctor visits. And um, so somewhere soon before or after we greet our new gamer into the world, me and my wife are going to be doing a, a show, Chris and Des- December Discuss, and it's going to be based more around some of the... Uh, what gaming does to you, why do you game kind of stuff. And we're going to be, it's going to be a short thing that we're going to be doing for the Cardboard Herald. It's going to be, uh, it's going to talk about things like revisiting a rule book and realizing you've been screwing up on a rule for a year or, or uh, you know, why do you play this way with this person versus this way with your kids? And, you know, what inspires you when you're playing? What puts you in the mood for playing, what are you looking for on certain days? Like when you when you pick a game and you play it, well, you know why'd you pick that one for the particular day? You know, I'd love to maybe even have people just uh, uh, comment in, uh, and it's meant to be light. It's meant to be kind of funny and just maybe uh, uh, you know I'd like to go go a little insightful with it to to kind of you know there's times where we've sat at the table and we've seen things and we're like oh my gosh do we both just do that and i wonder if other people do this so exploring some of those nuances of the gaming behind the gaming you might say so uh look forward to that coming up um doing more of the tcbh hangouts uh i have some personal music projects i'm working on and and there's been some shifts in the continuum with that and with some people, we're going to be moving out of state soon. And so once we move, I'm trying to look at gearing up some kind of record that was like almost like a soundtrack for gaming, you know, and I want to create some music that kind of reflects my feelings about this whole this what's hob- hobby turned obsession, I guess you could call it. <laughs> so um, that's what I've got on the horizon. And there's definitely going to be all that stuff's going to develop. I'm just Happy to have some projects going and, and happy to be doing all this stuff with you too, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about having you on. You know, as you can tell, Chris is a much more collected thinker than I am. You know, it comes from his years of being a coach uh, for various reasons. You know, I, I'm kind of the shotgun approach where I just talk until I run out of things to talk about and then talk just a little bit more. Uh, that's the, the Jack Eddie modus operandi, which somehow has been charming enough to keep people engaged up until this point. But uh, I think having smaller, little focused episodes on our site as well as other stuff uh, that you may have going on. I mean, I've been enamored with your with your audio projects since we first started hanging out at, at the the origins of some of the stuff that you were doing with your brother Marcus and then some mm-hmm. of the things that you've uh, worked on on your own. So that, that's, that's totally awesome. Uh, I think that uh, you're, you're crushing it and I, I can't wait to see what you have on the horizon for both the Cardboard Herald and as you kind of become your own media juggernaut yourself. Yeah, I'm excited. Excited. This is your humble beginnings here. <laughs> well, the main thing that I wanted to talk about uh, is just TCBH Hangouts, really. You know, I, I talked about it at the head of the podcast, but uh, the reason why I wanted to do this is because I, I started the Cardboard Herald to do gaming reviews and trying to do real thoughtful criticism and not just purchasing decisions of games, you know, dissecting games. And uh, I really liked writing, but I didn't think that I was terribly good at it. And it wasn't a a lot of creative muscles that I had exercised in a long time since being in school. But then I I started a job where I was doing more uh, written work, where I had to do thoughtful proposals on changes that would be made to various social service programs and, and, you know, more subjective stuff about what would be the best way to help families and kids and that kind of stuff and and justifying it through laws and that kind of stuff. So I thought if I'm doing this for work, maybe I can take another crack at doing some sort of creative writing. And that's where the Cardboard Herald was born in order to have a creative outlet. I wasn't playing music as much anymore with having a baby at home. And that's the genesis of this. Then quickly it became this interview thing. And then suddenly I was doing <clears throat> like video work and all kinds of other things. And, and we're still a very, very, very small thing, but it has grown far beyond my initial expectations with thousands of listeners all across 
the world, you know, to get some listener mail from Germany or something or, you know, have someone uh, write in from Japan even uh, has been totally awesome. And I want to continue propelling that forward. But as I mentioned earlier, the most fun that I have, the most engaged that I feel is when I'm hanging out with people who I, I already have an established history with and can just talk for a while. And I, I get that a lot in TCBH interviews, but I want to tighten that up. I want to make our, our interview channel much more professional while still maintaining the the somewhat conversational approach that I've had up until this point. And I think having some friends come on the show where we can just talk about creative projects and cool stuff, rad stuff in the industry or stuff that we want to take down a notch. You know, I, I try not to focus on negativity, but you know, occasionally something happens and you're like, dude, we have to talk about how much this sucked in the industry. <laughs> you know, sometimes publishers make big time mistakes that like really hurt consumers, you know, or, or right. someone on like some forums will create a ton of drama, you know, Reddit is a hotbed for drama and, and just having opinions on that kind of stuff, talking about it with your friends, same stuff that I would be doing anyway, but, you know, giving a, an outlet for that. Uh, so that's kind of what this has been. And it, it's already shaping up to be this, really cool thing that I absolutely love. I can think of other panelists and guests that I want to have. Um, Rob Conley of Ginger Cat Productions. Uh, I want to have him on as one of our regular co-hosts. He couldn't make it to today's episode. I don't know if we're going to have him as part of the uh, regular hosting here, uh, as I plan to have with Chris, or if he'll do more of the production side of things. But we're just testing out and getting this thing started right now. And then uh, the the amazing amount of help that I've gotten on this so far with like at BHU Futurist on Twitter, um, Chris Perry, he has just been amazing in helping out with uh, design for all things Cardboard Herald. He's been really enthusiastic about his own opinions on things that would um, help form this new show. And then also <laughs> best of all has been Cheap Shot. Uh, the guy who was on our podcast a long time ago, he he's a, a Japanese school teacher. Well, he's uh, English, but he lives in Japan, and he's a teacher who teaches English as a second language, and he uses games as a platform to do that. He has a couple programs, notably Kotoba Rollers, is uh, this gaming group of Japanese students, kind of late high school, early college age, learning English and, and really the, the intricacies of the English language through rule books and discussions during gaming. You know, the, there's a lot of nuance to table talk and that kind of stuff. And he uses that to facilitate it, you know, talking about games like Secret Hitler, you know, hitting the table, you know, how do you play a social deduction game in a language that's not your own, that type of thing. And he also runs a chiptune studio and label, and he had one of his musicians, The Dead, except it has a bunch of numbers in there. I'll put links to all their stuff in the show notes here, come up with the music for the show. So the music that you heard at the header which Chris and Andrew didn't hear, but it is amazing. It is like jaw-dropping that this awesome studio in Japan had one of their musicians on their label create this song for TCBH Hangouts, this brand new show, and it is... It's a banger. Like, it is just an awesome track that I have listened to way too many times. And my son, who's now turning three this week, he is going crazy listening to this uh, song. And he, he's, he calls it the cool song. And he just wants to hear it all the time and just, like, go crazy dancing to it. He, he looks like a little techno Viking of his own. But yeah, the, that's kind of the main creative focus that I have going on here. I mean, I'm doing all kinds of other stuff on our video channel that's on YouTube, and you can find all our stuff on CardboardHerald.com, but the main focus has been TCBH Hangouts and getting this thing to come to life. So guys, I, I think that's going to do it for our episode here. Anything else, any creative endeavors, anything you wanted to put as parting words on this episode? I don't think I have anything. Just that you're awesome. Oh, you're so sweet. Same, <laughs> same here, and I look forward to doing tons more. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I, I'm looking forward to doing this uh, at least once a month. Uh, it's probably going to be that. We'll thank you, everyone, for putting up with uh, kind of the hinky nature of an inaugural episode here. We're still just kind of <laughs> figuring out what this thing is going to be, and I'm hoping that as we propel into the future, people will be able to listen to the episodes to know kind of what they're getting into uh, and then we ourselves will kind of know what we're getting into a little bit more. <laughs> It'll probably be a lot less of me just rambling on in the future. So uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Andrew, for coming on as guest co-host uh, for this episode. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And as hopefully always, we have Chris Douglas on and myself, Jack Eddy, for the Cardboard Herald. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you want to hang out with us, you, you want to play with the big dogs, you should send us an email. Uh, you can find us at CardboardHell.com. There's a contact link at the top of there. And tweeting to us is a great way of engaging with us so that way we can answer questions on a future show. I'm at Cardboard Herald. Uh, Chris and Andrew, you guys have Twitter handles? Yeah, I'm uh, at Atheris Andrew or at Atheris Games. And I'm at CD Elite One. Yeah, you got that sweet Gendo Ikari uh, avatar <laughs> going on going on Twitter. I love it. Every time I see it, I'm like, ah, oh, <laughs> Professor Fuski. <laughs> All right. Well, clearly we all need coffee. So thank you everyone so much for listening to TCBH Hangouts because what the world needs is another podcast. Mm-hmm.